Fathers, we humbly bow in your presence. We thank you for being the great and awesome God that you are. We thank you for being a God who wants to be among his people when they worship. And how that you said, I will be with you and among you. And we just appreciate that so much. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be also is another scripture that goes with that. And so, Father, we just thankful that you, we are honored that you would desire to be in the presence of us. And so, Father, as we worship you this day, we begin in prayer for one of our own who is not feeling well. And we pray for Miss Joni, Father. We pray that you will give her strength and encouragement and healing. We pray that you will also help with her parents and her brother that she's taking care of over there in Ohio. We pray, Father, that you would help them out, that you would give them the strength and healing as well so that then they can be mended and that she can come home to her family here. So, Father, we just pray that you persevere with her, that you hold her up and lift her up, and that she will be okay, Father, and, and help her to relax, to remain calm in this situation and feel your peace and comfort that passes all understanding. And Father, we thank you for the healing that you've been doing amongst our numbers. I see many out today who have been unable to be out for a couple of weeks because of different issues. And so, Father, we're so thankful for that. I'm going to give another praise report, too, for Brother Kevin back here. That's, uh, uh, he had a, had a stroke this winter, he had things going on and didn't know why. And he and Carol sent a message this last week telling me that, praise God, when they went in to do a look at what had happened, that you grew a new artery, a bypass artery on your own for his heart so that he is still living and here with us. And so, Father, we give you all praise and glory for answering those prayers and keeping him safe. We pray, Father, that you will use both of them in a great way going forward. Now, fathers, we prepare to have fellowship with you and your word. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will help us to discern and open up our minds, that we will be able to see your word. This is a very special section of Scripture, Father, and I hope that it's appreciated. I hope it's not taken as something that's in fun or in jest, but that this is really, really something to be looked upon. And so, Father, we thank you for that fellowship. We thank you for discernment and understanding. And I pray that it will lead to a deeper faith, to a greater commitment in you and to your word and to being one of your soldiers upon this earth and an ambassador for Christ to the community. And we ask all of this, Father, and these blessings in the dear name of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And the kids. Yeah, ready for kids class, come on fr up front, and uh, they're going to take you into the back. And, uh, and as the kids are heading off back there, this, uh, this next slide, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe in zombies? Huh? Did I hear an amen? <laughs> yeah? Do you really think there's going to be a zombie apocalypse? No? No? Can I challenge you to just bear with me this scriptures today? I don't know that it is. Really, I don't. I don't know if it would be or not. But there's some things in the scripture that's going to be some, some things that are very, probably something like this in the end times. And so that's where we're at this day and as we get ready to go into what I had written I put two instances of something up here that makes you go oh really and what do they know maybe that we don't know and they're not telling us um, because if you think well we'll just get into the scriptures the the United States Strategic Command US STRATCOM 2009-2010 actually did create what was called Con Plan 8888. And if you want to write it down and go to Google or to DuckDuckGo or one of those things and search it out, it's called Con Plan 8888. 
And in 20, uh, 2009, 2010, it's called the Counter-Zombie Dominance Action. It was a zombie survival plan that was reenacted by our military services to provide a useful and effective training tool. It was at the Joint Combined War Fighting School, and the document was um, an operational plan for dealing with the undead. It even classifies the different types of zombies that might be expected in the coming times that they were preparing for. And they are listed as this in that con plan, 8888. There can be pathogenic zombies, radiation zombies, evil magic zombies, space zombies, weaponized zombies, symbiont-induced zombies, vegetation or vegetarian zombies, and strangely enough, chicken zombies. <laughs> I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't make this up. <laughs> it's there. Now, I'm also going to read to you the actual protective clause that's in the Amazon Web Services document service terms. And if you don't know about Amazon, the reason that they stayed growing when they were nothing years ago is because of the United States government funding them. And the United States government began funding them and they then became also Amazon Web Services, if you've seen that. And Amazon Web Services is funded by the United States government, the Department of Defense, and all of the military things and all of the government stuff runs on Amazon's Web Services. In their protective clause that they have in these web services, it's talking about life-critical, safety-critical systems for use in the operation of medical equipment, automated transportation systems, autonomous vehicles, which they're trying to get up and running now with running on their own without drivers, uh, aircraft, air traffic control, nuclear facilities, manned spacecraft or military use in connection with live combat. Here is their disclaimer for all of those things. This restriction will not apply in the event or the occurrence that will be certified by the United States Centers for Disease Control or the CDC of a widespread viral infection transmitted via bites or contact with bodily fluids that causes human corpses to reanimate and seek to consume living flesh, blood, brain, nerve tissue, and is likely to result in the fall of organized civilization. Like I said, I am not making this up. This is in their terms and restrictions that they're not going to be responsible for anything that happens in that and you start to think and we'll get into it here in a minute with the scriptures you stop and think about all the bioweapons all the nuclear type things that they are developing around the world the devil gets involved in that kind of stuff and and thwarts his influence into those things I have no idea what they could come up with and what it could do to us as human beings we've already seen what a little germ can do and shut down nations for two years, didn't we? Well, what about something that's diabolically contrived to do just this sort of thing? So I want you to, to like the Bereans, have an open mind as we go through the scriptures today. I'm not saying that it's true. I'm not saying that any of that's going to happen. I'm just saying, why are they putting this stuff in here? Why are they preparing us with shows like Walking Dead and things like that, what do they maybe know from a demonic standpoint that they have been contacted through that we don't because we go about our life as normal human beings and Christians and worship to God, right? So let's, let's look. If you would, turn your Bibles to Zechariah 14. Uh, we've been there a couple weeks, but this is a great chapter, and it has so many different points that we, we can just take a section of the scripture it, it makes a whole lesson in itself and that's what's happening today um, I'm not going to go over the first half again because we've we've done that a couple times but here 
what is happening here in those verses is where the, the, the armies encompassed Jerusalem. And the, as they were doing all of their things and parting the goods, here comes the Lord and He's coming to the rescue because they're going to finally, this is that great day that they've been waiting for that the Lord has talked more about in His Scripture than what He did even in His first coming. And so it says in verse 5 of Zechariah 14 that thus the Lord my God will come and all of his saints with him. So that means all of us. At some point during this tribulational time period, I don't know when, but at some point we have to be with him before this very end of it can take place. The believers in Christ are called saints throughout the New Testament scriptures. All of the saints will be coming with him. That word all is there. At some point, we have been uh, evacuated from this earth, from this physical body, or from our grave. And we have gone up to be with him in the air, and thus shall we ever be with him, it says. At some point, we were transformed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The mortality has put on immortality, and we are there with him. Whenever that final, whenever that trump of God sounds and the shout and the dead in Christ rise first and then we which are alive and remain are gathered up and follow with them and there we will always be with the Lord. And in Revelation 19 we get that wedding supper and we get our white robes. These things have to, to have taken place at some point before we return with the Lord to the Mount of Olives there in verses 3 and 4 as now he is going to fight for them. Last week we were in verses 6 through 11, how that there would be a day that had no light, no nothing, the luminaries would go dark, and then there would be a light after that that would come, which would be the appearing of the glory of God and Christ and all of us coming with him after all of the luminaries have fizzled out, and that it was a day known only to the Lord, and it will become light, and it says then that, after that light that the waters will flow and the Lord God will be king over all the earth and his name will be one. And then it says that the Lord shall reign for a thousand years. And we'll cover that here in a minute. But when the Lord returned and fought as in the day of battle, verse 11 says, and if you remember a couple weeks ago, I explained to you the Hebrew writing style and the way the Holy Spirit writes is that he gives a summary it's almost like you looked at the end of the book and so you read the first chapter and the last chapter and then you go back through and read all the details that lead you from beginning to end. And that's, that's the Hebrew style. It's always, I give you the summary and then I'll go in and give you the details in between that. So the, the first part of the summary was the Lord's coming back and he's going to fight for his people. And then the ending of it was last week with it's going to be a city of happy people because it's going to be filled only with believers at that time. The rest are taken out. And so now what happens in verse 12 is the summary of the war, that battle, when those who were fighting against Jerusalem and all of the nations and all of the peoples gathered together against them. This is what happened uh, when that took place up there in the first five verses and six verses. Verse 12, this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Now, first off, how many people? All. These are all who we're fighting against. And why is it all? Because the rest of us, we're coming with him, right? Because it said there in verse 5, all the saints will be coming with him. So, You've got that separation of those who have been believers in Jesus Christ and washed in the blood of the Lamb versus all of those who rejected the everlasting gospel of Christ and chose to side against him. Now, the believers have been taken to be with Christ by this point and coming back and all that is left are those that are getting ready to receive the wrath of the Lord as he comes to fight against those who have not only rejected Christ, but are now trying to take Jerusalem. 
And we are given the details of that battle here that it will be a plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. And it says this is what's going to happen. Their flesh shall dissolve or rot while they're standing on their feet. Their eyes will dissolve or rot in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve or rot in their mouths. And it will come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Well, I reckon. (laughs) I reckon that a great panic would start happening if that was taking place. And it says that everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor. So now they're coming out after each other and seizing their hands. Judah now will also fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, the gold, the silver, and the apparel in great abundance. And it will be now as booty for the Lord's uh, work. But then verse 15, but also this plague will be on the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, the cattle, and everything that is in those camps. So shall this plague be. Is that some wild stuff? Did you ever think he was going to read that in the scriptures of the word of God? This is the plague. You know, on Wednesday nights, we've been doing some videos uh, throughout the summer on uh, Ray Vanderlyn. Uh, he's, he's taking us through all of the lands of the Bible and all through Jerusalem, Judea, through Turkey, through Uh, Greece, through Egypt, through all of the places where the scriptures are written about in different spots. And this last week he was in what is now known as Luxor, Egypt, but uh, at one time it was um, Thebes back in that day. It was back in Thebes. And there was a temple there called Amu-Ra. And Ra was their sun god. So this was a temple to that sun god. And it showed all the things. But what it did was showed how that Satan always tries to imitate the things of God. But he does it a lot backwards. Because their statues that they had of all their pharaohs, they think that their pharaoh is God who came in flesh and watched over them and had the gods of the Nile and the gods of this and the gods of that to do what they were supposed to do because this God in flesh would offer up different sacrifices for that to make sure that all that happened. And it was instead of relying on a God of creation to supply all of our needs, they were relying on a man to make the gods supply all of their needs. You see how he does it backwards? And all of those pharaohs then, whenever they pass on, they build a statue to them, and their hands are crossed, which is, they said was a symbol of deity. And then in their hands was the this rod and a staff the shepherd's rod and staff, imitating the work of Christ like they were being Christ on earth all the way then because the devil knew what was going to happen. I've, I've had relatives and I've had friends say, how can some of them old writings have that kind of stuff in it before the Lord was born? I said, I'll tell you this. Satan used to be at the throne room of God. He was the angel, the cherub, that covered the throne room of God. And he knew what was going on. He was access and privy to information. When the fall of man occurred in the garden. And he enticed and deceived Eve to take of that. And God came and he said to the man and the woman. Why did you take it? And he said she tempted me. Why did you take it? The devil deceived me. That serpent deceived me. And he looked at the devil. And he said that the seed of woman is going to come and it will bruise your head. He will come and he will deal a death blow to you when you have put a blow to his heel. But his heel then will step on your head and crush it. So the devil knew about the Savior coming and that it would be coming through the seed of woman and why he was always trying to kill all of the babies that was always coming up so that he could stop the seed of the woman from coming through the Abrahams, the Isaacs, the Jacob, and the prophesied way that it was going to come. And so he was setting up things prior to imitate what it would be to try to deceive and lead people falsely and astray from that. 
So he's always doing these type of things. And he's always uh, doing that. But what I want you to see is patterns. Because in that land of Egypt, when God finally came to deliver him, what did he send upon him? Plagues. He sent ten plagues, didn't he? Of all different kind of things. So at the end, again, against those who come up against God, you see the patterns are all through the Bible. What's getting ready to happen? Plague. The same thing. It's a plague that's going to be coming against them just as the plagues like in Egypt was. It's the pattern. I'm going to give you another pattern that's of a pattern of God. Believers are always delivered and spared. The unbelievers receive the plague. There's a scripture. We all love to quote it, don't we? As it was in the days of who? So shall it be when? In the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So, what happened in the days of Noah? He built an ark. The family got in it. Who was delivered from the destruction and who was not delivered from the destruction? The believers that followed the plan of God and believed in what he said and did what he told him to do, built the ark, they got in. Hebrews 11 says that is faith. By faith, Noah worked with fear, built the ark for the saving of the eight souls. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 3. He said that in the days when the ark was a preparing, it says that, that Noah and eight, that eight persons were saved by water. The like figure of baptism doth now also save us. Not the washing away of the filth of our flesh, but it is the answer of the good conscience towards God. How is it an answer of a good conscience? It's because that's what he asked us to do. And when you do it. Now just like Paul could say. That in all good consciousness. When I was persecuted Christians. I didn't know what I was doing. But now I knew better. In all good conscience. Is what you know to do. And you are doing it. And so it is the answer of the good conscience towards God. That's what you need to do. And so these are patterns. Just that those who are saved, just after the pattern of Noah, and just like Noah, those that are saved will be delivered out of the destruction while they are going through the final destruction. Now, at which point in all of that, I don't know. It could be very close to the end. It could be right. I don't know. Uh, I have my own opinions, but, but there's so many scriptures that goes either way, but I do know this. God always delivers us even if it's be thou faithful unto death and i will give you a crown of life we might even have to face that at some point in our time in our faith but he says i will deliver you because there's something more important than this life and that is eternal life don't grab a hold of the things of this world and try to hang on to here christ it says did not hang on to being god but he left that abode and humbled himself to become a man, to die on a cursed cross for us. And if Christ humbled himself to do that and didn't think that heaven and being God and worshipped was something to be hung on to, why should I hang on to this evil world? I want to be seeking after what he wants us to do, and I'm delivered in the end, whether it's like Noah was or whether it's like Peter and the other apostles who lost their life was. But these are patterns that we will be delivered from final destruction. So again, the plague that's going to strike all the people is the flesh dissolving and rotting while they stand and in their eye sockets and their tongues. And that doesn't sound pleasant at all, does it? I don't want to be a partaker of any of that. That is a great motivating factor of why I want to believe in Christ Jesus and be washed in the blood of the Lamb and not be a part of the plague that the Lord will smite against those who have refused and fought. Now it says, All who fought against Jerusalem will have their flesh to dissolve while standing on their feet. Well, I had to do some investigation. What's that word? Dissolve. Uh, to rot. It's a word, makak. And makak means to be corrupted, to begin to decay and to rot away, and thus it will begin to melt and dissolve off of the frame of the body. So while standing on their feet, 
their flesh will begin to do all of that while they're walking around. What is it? What type of plague would cause all of this? Well, I've heard some folks say nuclear bombs. That if nuclear bombs come, that extreme heat that would come off of that would just melt you in an instant like that. That is true. Uh, and then the radiation from all of that outwardly can also cause that over a slower period of time of kind of the way that that's true. But there's a lot of conjectures, and it could be true. But as much as possible, I like to let the Bible interpret the Bible, don't you? Because if God has put it there, then, then we can interpret it correctly. If he hasn't put it there, then it's up for speculation, and all we can do is speculate. So let's see if the Bible has anything to say about this type of plague. And I'm still learning a lot about Revelation. I'm still learning. But I want you to know that we've been going to it the last few weeks in conjunction with this because it all ties together. And what I want you to think is, I want to understand that book. I, I want to know what it says. You know why? It is the only book in the Bible that does what? Gives you a blessing if you hear it and read it. It says, blessed is the one who reads and they who hear the things that are written in this word. This is the only book in the Bible that promises that blessing to us. The very first two verses say that this is the revealing. That's what revelation means is a revealing. This is the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ that God gave to him to give to us his servants who follow him. So everything in that book is what God preciously gave to Jesus and said, show it to your servants. This is what I want them to know and tell them that they who, who read and teach and those who hear, they will all be blessed by the things that are written herein. So I want us to take the attitude of, I can't understand anything out of Revelation to Man, Lord, open up my heart and my mind to an understanding so I can because I want that blessing that you have promised in that word to us. And so it says this. First thing, I, I think that it could be something like what they're talking about that would cause that. Could it be some type of induced zombie apocalypse? I don't know. The, maybe they, they know what might be coming. But... How about that things always come back upon those who do such things? There's a, there's a law of the Bible. Uh, the Word of God says in Galatians 6, 6 through 9, Let him who is taught the Word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. All that was talked about on that dissolving of the flesh goes along with that word corruption. It's, a, it's the physical decay of the body. If all you care about is this world and the flesh, then you're going to reap death because that's really what corruption of the flesh is, is death. Those who sow to your flesh, what you're going to reap is death and going back to the dust of the ground. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit also. See, you got a physical death and life and a spiritual death and life. And he says, those who sow vote to the Spirit and not to the flesh, they will reap everlasting life. So please, he encourages us, do not grow weary in doing good, in due season, we will reap if we do not lose heart. So don't lose heart. Keep on keeping on the good fight of faith. Keep sowing that which is good. Sow to the spirit and not to the flesh because the flesh is only going to reap death, decay, and decomposition. Uh, so now if we track what happens through the book of Revelation, we're going to see that God has given those who are going to be on the receiving end of this plague, he has given them every opportunity in this world, every opportunity to repent so that this does not happen to them 
over and over, God always sends abounding grace before he sends out the justice part of who he is. So come, as Ray Vanderlyn likes to say, come, follow me as we look to the scriptures and see what it has to reveal for us. Uh, what it's going to reveal is that these plagues will show us just how stubborn that human beings and pride of human nature can be. And it's revealed. There were seven seals that were opened up at first from chapter 6 beginning. Peace was taken. They went out and they had wars and famine and pestilence and death and hell followed and there was no repentance. Then in chapter 8 of Revelation, when the seventh seal was opened, what it did was brought out seven trumpet judgments. So now here comes these seven trumpets and it says that the first angel sounded and hail and fire mingled with blood was thrown to this earth. And if you want to keep following along, we're just going to go right through here in Revelation now if you want to come here. Then something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and the third part of the sea became blood. <clears throat> the third part of the living creatures in the sea died and also a third part of the ships. And then a great star from heaven fell, burning like a torch, and it came and it was thrown into the sea and the, or to the rivers and the fresh waters now. So now you had the salt waters and now you got the fresh waters. A third of the rivers became bitter, wormwood, and poison. Many men died because of that water. And then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the day did not shine and likewise a third of the night i think that's where the lord said the days were shortened so that uh even the elect would not be deceived so there's something to to think about that the third part of the day and a third part of the night wasn't there anymore woe 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 to the earth because there are still three more blasts of the trumpet to come and then in chapter 9 the fifth angel sounds and a star fell from heaven to the earth and he had some keys and he had the keys to the bottomless pit. And it was opened up and smoke arose out of that bottomless pit. It was like a furnace. And I'm going to tell you something. At the hall gross yesterday when we, when we took the pig off and was in there uh, separating it so that we could put it out. We said, well, we're going to open up the top of that so that it can get some air and start burning the coals and stuff off. And guess what happened? It caught fire. All of that grease from there caught fire, didn't it, Timmy? Tim come running there going, we need to shut the door on the thing. And we was out there running. Flames was as high as that chandelier off of that thing. And we shut that. And when we shut that, what went rolling? I said, everybody in Perrigan's going to be over here because that's all flowing that way. And they're going to smell that and say, what's happening over there? It smells good. And... But it was rolling like a great furnace. Now when this angel comes and he opens up that pit to the bottomless pit, this huge boiling smoke like a boiling furnace like that's going to take off. And you know what's inside? You know why it looks like smoke? No, it ain't going to smell like no hog roast. That was good. But what, it, but what it is, it's going to smell like things that look like scorpions, locusts that's going to come out. And it says that it was locusts. You know, the other day, I was looking out, I don't know if any of y'all seen this, but I was looking out across all of the fields in Perrigan on one of those 95 degree days, and it looked like haze out through there. You know what it was? Little bitty bugs that, that form clouds, they were everywhere over the fields. The little bitty bugs could make those clouds going over the fields. Think what big locusts, big, big locusts are going to do. It says that it's going to be like all that furnace putting the smoke out. And it's going to put out the, the light for a little bit. And it says that when it came, the, even the air and the sun is darkened from the smoke. And the great locust and unto them was given power. You see, they don't have anything unless God allows it. So unto them it was given power and instructions. It says, don't harm anything like the what grass is left in those things and trees and don't harm any of God's people you see whenever you are God's and you've been washed in the blood of the lamb you've received the seal of the Holy Spirit of God upon you and it says in Acts chapter 2 when Peter said them guys said 
we're guilty of the death of Christ. What do we do? And he said, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. And we find out later on that that gift is the sealing of the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. And so now, as these locusts are coming up out of that pit and going out, they are given instructions. You're going to torment everyone on the earth for five months. It's going to be such a bad torment that they're all going to wish they were die. They were going to try to die to escape it, but they won't be able to die and escape it. But he said, don't touch anyone that has the seal of God upon them that are Christ's. Praise God. Amen. There's another motivator of why I'm, I want to be in Christ. Do not kill God's children, but torment the rest for five months of agony. They will desire to die, but death will flee from them. Then the sixth angel sounds. Four angels who have been bound up for this time and place over by the great river Euphrates. Uh, they were prepared for this hour. You know what they're going to come? They're going to come out and kill a third of mankind. It says that it's the 200 million man army. <clears throat> they're going to ride upon beasts that have heads like lions and out of their mouth comes fire, smoke, and brimstone. Man, I don't want to see this stuff. Verse 18, by these three what? Plagues. Oh, see, we're still talking in Zechariah's language. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. Now, these are plagues, I think, in my opinion, that are preceding that great plague that he is talking about. It's kind of like the greatest one that came upon Pharaoh was number 10 on the firstborns, but you had plagues that leaded up to that. I think these are things that are leading up. But why are they leading up? Because God is giving mankind every chance to repent. He is showing his power, just like he did to Egypt. He is showing his right hand of power. Those magicians tried to imitate what Moses was doing there. And when it came up to the middle of those plagues, they said, we can't do that one. And they told Pharaoh, because that was caused by the finger of God. You see, God is warning through these powerful things that I am God. Will you not listen to me? Will you not return to me? Will you not be saved from what's taking place? <clears throat> it says, by this time in the book and in history, mankind should be thinking it's time to repent then, shouldn't they? We would think that. I mean, on, on our end of the fence who are believers, we're thinking, man, if that was me, I would believe, right? So does that happen? Look what it says. These, these are for God to bring people to him and trying to convince them to repent. But look at verse 20. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, they did not what? They, I, I cannot believe this scripture and the nature of human beings. Can you? It says they refused to repent of the work of their hands. And that they would quit worshiping demons and idols of their gold, silver, brass, and stone that can neither see, hear, nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So, they refused to give up all of those things. That's also a pretty depraved situation, isn't it? Just like in the days of Noah, like we talked about in the beginning, what was going on then? The whole world was corrupted. Every thought of every man was nothing but what? Yeah. And it looks like the same thing is happening in that day. I'm going to give you just one of these. One of the, the well, I'm just, I'm going to move on. I'm going to keep, keep going. I'm not going to take any more of your time. They repented not of these things. And that's how Revelation 9's in. Just they didn't repent. Then... God, by showing his omnipotent power, and they still continued to ignore him and not take his warnings to heart. And then it says in chapter 10, starts a new campaign. <clears throat> a mighty angel stands on the sea and the land. He swore by the Lord who lives forever and ever that created the earth and everything in it. And he said, there's no more further delays. In other words, the grace and the patience of God is beginning to run thin after all of this time. There's no more delays. 
the seventh angel is about to sound. And when he gets ready to sound, it says the mystery of God will be finished. So everything that had been hidden up to this time and talked about that was leading up to that great day, now it's going to come to fruition. And that which was unknown will be made known. The mystery of God will be finished. Just as he declared through who? <clears throat> the prophets. So here's where I think Zechariah starts to kick in because it's talking about all of the things that the prophets talked about are beginning to unfold. So then we go to chapter 11, verse 15. The seventh trumpet sounded, and now the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. What did we study about last week with Zechariah? Remember? It says that when he came and all of that happened, it says that he reigned as Lord and King of kings and Lord of lords, and it was his time. So here again is that tie-in, why we're bringing all of this in. It's all connecting together on what's happening. The, the temple of God, the word says here, is opened up in heaven. The Ark of the Covenant was seen in a temple. Everything that, was, that God gave them to do down here on this earth, whenever they were in that wilderness and they made that temple and they made that Ark, God told Moses when he was on the mountain, he said, make everything after the patterns that I gave to you. There's that word again, patterns. After the patterns I gave to you, which are patterned after the things that are in heaven. So there is a temple in heaven. There is an ark in heaven. It says, you know how that the priests would go once a year and offer up that sacrifice and go in there to the Holy of Holies and put the blood on the ark of the covenant on the mercy seat and roll the sins over another year until Christ came? Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us that when Christ was crucified, that he took his blood up into the heavenly temple and offered it up once and for all. No more sacrifices, no more offerings had to be made because as he had offered himself up as the Lamb of God, then he as our high priest went into the holy holies of the temple that's in heaven and placed his blood upon the mercy seat of God so that all that are covered by the blood of the Lamb are saved. Is that great? So here, that's opened up in the heavenly realms. And they, and they see it. And then it says this. <clears throat> in chapter 13, the devil doubles down. And he brings out all of his beasts. And he begins flashing the miracles. Why? Because he wants to deceive. You see, God has been displaying his muscles. So now Satan is trying to counteract that with all of these signs and wonders and deceitful things that he's doing so that he can keep a hold of them and, and keep their loyalty <clears throat> and keep the pleasures of their flesh going. And in verse 16, it says up there, he causes all. So that, see, that's another thing why we're not there. Because he caused all who were left both small and great, rich or poor, free a slave, to receive the mark on their hand, on their right hand or their foreheads, that no one can buy, sell, do anything unless they receive the mark of the beast. So he has flexed his muscle now, and he is compelling all to take that mark. And those who didn't take it were, will be um, taken out of this life. So in the meantime... While all of that's happening, again, I keep telling you the patterns. It's always God's grace, God's gospel going out to try to save during all of these times. So in chapter 14, it says that in, while the beast is doing all of these things with lying signs and wonders, that God is giving to mankind one last chance to repent. And it says in verse 6 that God does this. This is amazing. He sends a flying angel in the midst of the heavens. And the angel has the everlasting gospel. And he's preaching from the skies to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. You see, no one is left out. An angel from heaven itself is preaching and proclaiming from the heavens the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ that he is king and Lord and that he was offered for you, and this is the good news. And he says, fear God, not the leadership, not the devil, but fear God and give to him the glory, because the hour of God's judgment has come. 
Worship him who made heaven and earth. And another angel cries, Babylon has fallen. You see, that's the seat and the capital of Satan's throne. Babylon is. That's what it represented. He said, but Babylon has fallen. The victory is already ours. Will you not join the winning team while you have the chance and hear the gospel? And another angel cries, if you worship the beast and continue in his system and worship his image and you receive the mark on your forehead, you will drink the wine of the wrath of God that will be poured out. Do you see that it's warning after warning, chance after chance, that God has given them to repent and to save their everlasting souls from this wrath? Verse 10, you will drink the wrath of God's wine. You'd been drunk, it says in other places, on all of the things of this life from that harlot of Babylon, but she's fallen don't drink that wine anymore. If you do, then you will drink the wine of the wrath of God and be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of his Christ, the Lamb. And the smoke of your torment will ascend forever and ever and you will have no rest from it day or night. Whoever worships the beast in his image and receives the mark. Wow. Do I need to get busy with folks that I know and love that don't know Christ yet. I do not want this to befall upon anyone that I know. And so this is what motivates us. There's a scripture that says, Therefore, knowing the wrath of God, we persuade men. When we begin to see and feel the, the real thing that's going to happen and what, that it's going to be everlasting, we persuade men. We now who have been motivated to follow that good news, we should now be motivated to persuade others to, to leave while you have a chance. And it says that the angels were proclaiming that. And then verse 13, those that hear and believe and turn to God, a voice from heaven says, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yeah, the Spirit of God says you will rest from your labors. Because in other words, you see, at this point, that beast system was compelling everyone to take the mark, right? You will worship me and take that. Those who don't, he will be hid. He will take out of this life. And so now those that are hearing this everlasting gospel and facing that decision, they say, you might be beheaded for the Lord or you might die, but those who die from this point on, you will now be blessed. You will rest from your labor your works will follow after you. They will fear not those who can harm this body. But fear and worship God. For he's the only one who can destroy both body and soul in eternity. So then in verse 4. A white cloud and the son of man's on it. And his golden crown and a sickle in his hand. And it's the time for reaping it says. The earth is ready. Its grapes are ripe. Go out and to to the great harvest and throw them into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And it says that all those were that would, had been gathered together, as Zechariah said, all the nations of the world gathered together against that holy city of God. And now when the Lamb comes back, he's going to trample them like grapes in the wine press. And it says that the blood would be to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. I said, okay, how long is that? Because I don't deal with furlongs. <laughs> so I started looking and it said that eight furlongs to the mile. So that's 200 miles. 1,600 furlongs, 200 miles. So, Lisa, you've been the only lady horse trader in Indiana. How, how high is a bridle on a horse? Okay, so for three or four feet... For 200 miles will be the, the wine of the wrath of God on all those who refuse to repent after God over and over and over offered you everlasting life and the, the freedom through the blood of the Lamb. And they didn't. So now that's running that deep. And then chapter 15 begins the story of our war that we were talking about in Zechariah 12, or 14, verse 12. A great and marvelous sign in the heavens came. Seven angels having seven last what? Whew, plagues. 
Here they come with seven last plagues. The bowls are the plagues. So that was, that was the right answer too. Bowls, vials, whichever translation. But these are the plagues of the wrath of God upon the earth. And so by that wording, I think we're arriving at that point where we saw that dissolving of the skin through the plague that it has. So the first plague, the first bowl is poured out and it says, what happens to the people? Foul and loathsome sores are upon them. Verse 2. So when he poured it out, foul and loathsome sores came upon all the men who were left because they all had the mark of the beast and they were serving the beast kingdom. What's that sound like? Those things that he was just talking about in Zechariah. Well, and you see how God connects the dots. If, if you only read one chapter, you say, this is crazy and I keep on reading. But as the Spirit of God begins working and you start putting the pieces together, you can see that this was all one big movie, isn't it? I mean, if this was in a movie, we can see how it has been flowing and how it just flows to this point. So now these, these foul and loathsome sores. Well, you know, I've got to look those words up. <laughs> so the sores is the word for ulcers. Whenever you get those big ulcers that are oozing and doing all the stuff and it begins eating away of the flesh that's the word for sores foul and loathsome are two different words if I, memory serves me correctly they were kakos and paneros kakos is a word for spiritual rottenness it's a, it's a word that originally meant the rot was in the wood have any of you guys ever went to cut down a tree and you thought it was a big, old, good, strong tree, and you started cutting, and all of a sudden it just started splitting out, and it's many a man's lost his life with one of those trees because what was inside, rottenness. And the whole inside of that tree that looked so strong and big was rotten on the inside. And it, many of them fell on houses, and it was like, how was that? And you look, and the whole inside, the word kakos means the rot was in the wood, that it was already there. So... The, the foul and loathsome sores, the other one is, is the outward, physical, painful effects of that sore. So what you have, and it's the way God does things, I think, sometimes, especially on the evil, is that what was inwardly, the foulness, the rottenness, the inside, your whited sepulchres, that that started being displayed outwardly through these sores. The rottenness that is on the inside of your soul and was cursing and blaspheming God is now coming out to the outside and being exposed in these things as they are now rotting and coming apart. And then it says uh, it's even worse than leprosy. And this, what a description that brings to the mind of what it can be. And then the second and the third angels pour out their bowls upon the waters again and now they're all blood and poison and and every living creature that resided in any of the salt or fresh waters died. And then verse 8. The fourth bowl of wrath was poured and the angel pours it on the sun. Power was given him to scorch men with fire. And mankind was scorched with great heat. And I wrote on here, in my opinion. And so this is just me thinking out loud for you all. It's an opinion of, the script, of this. Again, as I said Satan is way above us, but he's not above God. God is the only thing that's God. Satan is a created being, but it says that he was the most brilliant, uh, the most charming creature that he ever created from the hand of God. And he is way smarter than we are. And he knows a lot of things. And if he knows these scriptures inside and out and the plan of God, I'm thinking... Why in the world do they want to get rid of gasoline and go to like electric cars? Why do they want to get rid of carbon footprint? Why are they shutting down all of this stuff and they're talking about global warming and we got to stop the global warming? Well, if you think about it from this, this piece of wrath that's being poured out right now, what would, what would you try to do if you had to prolong your judgment? I am going to try with all of my heart to keep the global warming down, that people aren't being scorched, and this scripture can't get fulfilled. So I'm going to put chemtrails in the sky, and I'm going to shut down the oil refineries, and you can't burn this. And we're going to, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud, but if he knows all of that, 
all the things that they're trying to do sounds crazy to me. But in reality, is it that he's trying to prolong his days before that judgment comes? But guess what? He can't because he can't control the things of God. And where is this mighty angel pouring it out upon? The sun. God controls the sun. It's his created thing. And he controls what that does. And you can try to block it out all you want to. But if God says, light be, light is. And if he says, heat go, heat will go. And so he's futile in his thinking. But it's still, um, I just wonder. And that's why I put, but no one... You would think that if men who were full of foul and loathsome sores began having flesh now that is scorched with extreme heat and fiery type things from the sun, now you would expect repentance, wouldn't you? No, they still won't do it. Look at what it says up there. Verse 9 says, They blasphemed still the name of God who had the power over these plagues and neither did they repent or give him glory. The fifth bowl is poured out upon the throne of the beast, verse 10. The earth and his kingdom becomes full of darkness. What did it say in Zechariah there, right as the Lord was coming? You remember when it said that that was a day that there was neither light nor anything, all the things would be diminished? So here you go. So now this one's poured out and there is no light. The, it, it covers, that bowl covers and it covers the throne of darkness, the throne of Satan. And then the sixth angel pours out his bowl of wrath and the Euphrates is dried up. And now all the kings of the earth, the way is prepared from them from the east. And all of these unclean spirits like frogs comes out of the dragon and the beast and the false prophet. And they persuade all the kings of the earth and the whole world together together. So how did we start out Zechariah 14? All the kingdoms and nations of the world was gathered together against Jerusalem. So here is that happening. And so now the seventh bowl is poured out and a great earthquake shook the land and the great city. It's an earthquake like it's never been in all of history. And the great city is split. What did it say happens when the Lord arrived on Mount of Olives? Yeah. And all the nations will fall. Great hail from heaven fell upon them. Each hailstone, a talent depending on which time period of history that you go through, was either 75 all the way up to 130 pounds. So these hailstones falling all the way from heaven like cannonballs, 75 to 130 pounds are flying in on them, but they still continued to blaspheme God all the way to the end and the, because they blamed God for the exceedingly great plague instead of thanking God and saying, I repent, take me away from this. And then chapter 17 and 18 are the interludes of the harlot and the, the great judgment becomes. I want to go to chapter 20 as we close. It says there that another angel came down after all of that had happened. And this is one happy angel because he's the one that gets to bind up Satan. And it says that that happy angel came down and he had the key to the bottomless pit and he had a great chain. And the enemy is defeated. He lays hold of the devil and he binds him for the thousand years in the bottomless pit. And now we have the marvelous reassuring promise from our Lord to all of us who have believed in Christ and followed his word instead of following after the flesh and that system of this world. It says that the thousand year reign of Christ on earth begins and, and we are with him, doesn't it? It says that... Till the thousand years are finished, he's in there. And after that, he'll be released. But I saw thrones, they that sat on him. Judgment was given. And it goes all the way down to the red. And we, we did not have his mark on us. And we lived and reigned with Christ for the thousand years. But the rest, those who were not in Christ, they're going to stay in their graves for that, during that thousand years. And they're not a part of this first resurrection. They will be a part of of the second death because they refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have a marvelous promise of God that we will be with him during all of that and spared from it because we believed in the Lamb of God. So as our worship team comes on up and we close out, I just hope and I pray that 
that the Lord has allowed us to understand that the whole movement of what this is and just how precious it is to have everlasting life in Christ Jesus. To believe on the work of Him on the cross that He did for us so that we can escape the things of this and especially that second death and that eternal punishment from that. And if you are here and you've not made that decision, would you do that today? Don't, don't waste time. Don't delay. We don't know the day nor the hour when all things will be set into motion. This, is, this water is ready. We have clothes and we have towels. You won't have to leave wet or in wet clothes if the Lord has motivated your heart. To those who, who are Christ, does this not motivate us to keep following Him? To be His ambassadors. To share that gospel of good news now and persuade men because we are fully aware of that wrath that would be to come. So I pray that we will walk in strength. We will walk in faith. We will not buckle to anything. Be faithful all the way to the end of life. And you'll get a crown of life as your reward. Which he, the righteous judge, will give us in that day the same way that Paul was teaching it. And Father, we just thank you that as we can look at these things that you've written in your word, that we can have great faith that you are God and that this is your word because it always comes true. Every bit of it has never in all of history been proven to be false. Nothing that is in it. And so we know that these things are true. All of the things that are coming against the world system, but also the promises that are made to us who are in Christ, that I will never leave you, I will not forsake you. I will always be with you. I will give you a crown of life. Be faithful to me. Father, what we pray is for the strength and the power of your word and your Holy Spirit to be within us as we live this life and we face these things of the world day by day and help us in some form or fashion take that message to others so that they also might know you and enjoy a home with you forever in heaven. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, your grace and your patience. In Jesus' name, amen.